You're listening to a podcast for sinners and sufferers, having conversations about theology, faith, and culture for weary souls in need of grace. My name is Cody. And my name is Kyle. And Cody, did you get into any internet fights this week? Internet fights? Briefly. Oh, actually? Well, just, uh, I mentioned it to you, just just the... The c- comment about uh, Calvinism. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. I feel like there's just like every Christian community I try going into online. There's like this base level simmering hatred for Calvinists. And if you show your cards at all, it's so ironic because the it's always like Calvinists are so hateful. Burn them. I'm like, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> like, do you not see the irony? But by the way, it's not really. You, I mean, I haven't been on Twitter much this week. I don't know about you. Um, no, I'm just like, all, all I'm seeing is news and stuff. So mm. I have not gone in, into any fights this week. I have, well, I typically, maybe in my, my younger, uh, more immature days, I got into some fights online. But typically, um, I remember when last year, and I can't even remember what I, what tweet I responded to, what the guy said. Um, but it was something, it ended up coming around to like COVID and churches being open and stuff. Mm. And he was like, if you're following any public health rules, then you're not being faithful to the, to the gospel yeah. and to Jesus. And I was like, I literally have not said anything about what we do on Sundays or like, mm. or anything. I, I think it was like a question of like, how does this affect churches or something like that? I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, and he just like came at me and I was like, dude, like I... I don't even know what you're talking about. And he's like, well, if you're wearing masks on a Sunday, that's ridiculous. And you're not following the gospel. And I was like, when did I ever say we were doing any of this? So that's the most recent one I've been in. And so, yeah, that's classic. Sometimes I go look at your Twitter page and I look at your uh, tweets and replies to see what you're replying to. Cause then I'll see those things where someone's like, here's a tweet. And you're like a fairly like neutral, reasonable response. And someone's like, how dare you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that's what I was saying. Like I replied to an Instagram comment. Someone commented on like, you know, deconstruction and people like not believing in sovereignty. And I was like, man, even a lot of Christians don't believe in sovereignty. And someone's like, blah, blah, blah. Calvinism. I was like, I did not say a word about Calvinism and they've gone off, but, but yeah, uh, Things have been online this week. I assume is what you're getting at is like even trying to look for something to talk about. Most of the the news is about, you know, conflict in the Ukraine and Russia. And we're not political commentary people. But I know personally one thing that, that stood out to me is, well, and you see this a lot, especially in Christian Twitter, is the kind of like male posturing, especially these guys are like, well, and, and I saw this, I used to see this in Bible college too. So it's, it's funny to see that it's still prevalent with like adult adults, but people who kind of have this attitude, they're like, Oh yeah, put me in. I'm going to let, let me loose. Give me a gun. I'm going to, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to fight. And it's like, bro, playing call of duty isn't real training. Like, like I have none, personally, I have no illusions that I would be good. Like when I used to work with uh, guys in drug recovery and the homeless, so much of my job was kind of like bluffing. I was like, I'm just waiting for someone to call my bluff and like actually try to start a fight with me. And then I'm done. And 
And there's a few times where someone would like punch me and I was just kind of like, no, stop it. And they're like, excuse me. I was like, <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to get in a fight. This is, no, this is bad. But, uh, but yeah, it's with the, the way people respond to us on social media. I'm like, guys, you're getting super like offended, like just absolutely set off over a tweet. Yet you're, you think you're going to, you know, wade into a battle and be on the front lines and be some kind of war hero. <laughs> yeah, there's something comical about it being called a tweet as well. It's a very funny <laughs> word. And to be so triggered about about something like that is uh, is something else. I know there's things that that I see online sometimes and it gets me frustrated. I mean, there's tons of like, especially recently in Canada and things going on in the world and stuff. There's a lot of things that can easily get you upset. Um, What kind of, yeah, is standing out for sure is this kind of like, you know, we're all sitting behind a keyboard or on our phones typing about what we would do if we were in that situation and. Um, and coming at people, um, I mean, even with COVID, like I was mentioning before, right. Um, it was a lot of people who aren't pastors, weren't, you know, leading churches or anything had to deal with government and police officers and everything and saying like, anyone who does anything that the government says is being completely unfaithful to the gospel. And it's like, Mm. okay, let's, let's pull back a little bit because there's so many, aspects to what you know in the past two years specifically what pastors had to deal with and think about and think through and talk to different people about same with this one it's like you can say whatever you want on on twitter but when it comes down to it there's people who are actually in that situation and they're actually Mm -hmm. having to deal with it so your whole like kind of macho man stand up and like somebody punch me in the face or whatever like it it just often doesn't hold up yeah, that reminded me, you know, just before Christmas, we commented on uh, the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast. And I just remember the story where the one guy was talking about how like their culture in the church, they all got so hyped up on like being alpha male and masculine that there's some guys like drag racing outside of his house or something. So he went out there and started like yelling at them and acting all tough. And then afterwards he, he was like, what did I do? Those guys are going to come back and kill me. And I feel like our, our sort of social media culture has created, like put us in a place where we feel too safe to say things without actually like thinking about what we're saying or what we're implying. And I've seen it even like so much more with uh, like COVID where more and more people are, are, are at home and just keyboard warriors. And there's actually, I'm just thinking of this now, there's some uh, research and I don't remember if it's like sociology or psychology, whatever field, but when I worked in social services, I worked with people on the street. They found that if I was at a desk, if someone came in to speak to me at a desk and there's a shield, like a plexiglass shield in between us, people are more likely to become violent than if it's just open air. And it's because there's like, they can be like, oh, I'm going to punch you in the face. And like, no, you're not because there's a shield. So then people feel more like, like they can get rowdy whereas if it's just open air and someone's like i'm gonna punch you in the face i'm like hold on and i walk around the counter like suddenly there's some accountability Um, and people tend to actually just be a lot calmer i've wondered that even with like working at a cafe we have the plexiglass shield and we feel like customers are just like 
so uptight and miserable. And I wonder if like having no masks and having no shields, if it'd create more of a human connection and people would start being more reasonable, but you'd see someone's face, you know, you see yeah. their smile that they're giving you as you're yelling at them about how their latte is not hot enough. You know, I think a lot of it would help out in our world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just making some suggestions for people who have that kind of power, but um, yeah. yeah, I mean, at the end of often what ends up happening when I see all like stuff like this online and people acting tough, you know, online or whatever, um, is just chill out. <laughs> like it's, it's Twitter. Um, you know, everyone has an opinion, especially in the moment where everything's coming at us, like as it's happening live, um, mm. you form your opinion right away and you feel like you need to hop in the conversation right away. The, the best answer to um, not having those types of situations is just to chill out a little bit yeah. and get over it. I think way too many Christian, like, quote unquote, influencers and leaders just take themselves way too seriously. And you see that with the like discernment culture thing where they're like, it is on me to declare every person who's a heretic, a heretic and to challenge every incorrect thing is like, Why? Don't you like, ironically, don't you trust in God, the sovereignty of God that he will defend his word? And like, why do you think you're like the savior? Why do you think it's, it's on you to, to, to be the, the sole person standing up for truth and to, to make a scene? And I think that was something that hit me in like, I don't know if I was still in Bible college or if it was later, but I was, I used to get really angry driving and it occurred to me, I was like, I just think too, way too highly of myself. And what really like helped, I, was, I used to pray, I was like, God, help me get less angry about driving. And what came about was I kept ending up in situations where people were screaming at me. People were like, you cut me off. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I did cut them off. And I was like, <laughs> in almost every situation we're getting angry like that, it's because we are thinking way too highly of ourselves. When we're like, this person's stupid and doing a stupid thing and everything they do is dumb and wrong. It's like, yeah, you do a lot of dumb and wrong things too, though. Like we're, if we all just really put into perspective who we are, who God is in relation to us, it, it really brings, brings down the heat, calms us all down, chills us out. Today, we are talking about the nature of Jesus uh, specifically his dual nature as both man and God, um, being fully man and fully God. Um, this is really a, a fundamental part of who Jesus is and something that we need to acknowledge uh, if we want to know him. Um, we constantly are talking about this, that as people who follow Christ, we need to know him well so that we can worship him properly also. Mm. Um, that's why, you know, things we teach is really important. And understand what the Bible says is important as well, having right doctrine. So um, with this topic specifically, this is a really big one that, um, you know, we're not going to be able to do the full topic justice for sure in this time. But some of the earliest heresies are, are those that speak to Christ's divinity and his humanity. Um, you think of the Arian controversy, um, all, all a lot of, of the early heresies, the thing that people got off on really quickly was the topic of Jesus, who he was and, and what his nature was. Mm. Yeah. 
And I think that's why in the, the, you know, the 1689 confession as, as all these leaders are coming together and writing out what, what they believe, what we confess, why this paragraph that we're going to get into in uh, chapter eight, is it paragraph two is so like long and wordy is because they're trying to really address every little detail. And yeah, we're not going to be able to get into like all the minutia and every like specific semantic thing. And we're probably, we're just discussing beforehand that it's really easy to accidentally say something incorrect when you're talking about something Mm -hmm. as complex as it's like with the Trinity, uh, and you're trying to talk with like the natures and the relationship and stuff. It's really easy to, to just in human words, trying to communicate concepts, say something wrong. And there's a chance that's going to happen today, but we, we think this is important. So we're going to dive into it. Um, I think it's my turn to read the paragraph. So it's a long one. So brace yourselves. (laughs) Here we go. It says, The Son of God, the second person in the Holy Trinity, being very and eternal God, the brightness of the Father's glory of one substance and equal with him who made the world, who upholds and governs all things he has made, did, when the fullness of time was complete, take upon him take upon him man's nature with all the essential properties and common infirmities of it yet without sin being conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary, the Holy Spirit coming down upon her and the power of the most high overshadowing her. And so was made of a woman of the tribe of Judah of the seed of Abraham and David, according to the scriptures, so that the two whole perfect and distinct natures were inseparably joined together in one person without conversion, composition, or confusion, uh, which, which person is very God and very man, yet one Christ, the only mediator between God and man. They take a drink of water. <laughs> Good job. Way to go. That was a tough a lot one. of words. <laughs> yeah, this is, I mean, it's a, it's a big paragraph in a, um, uh, in a confession that's already very long. Um, but that's because of how important it is. Like we have whole statements on just this alone that, that people hold, hold to, um, the Nicene, uh, creed that was called council of Nicaea. That's what they dealt with. Right. Yes. Um, and they wrote up, right, they wrote up a whole thing on it. So, um, what the first thing that we should point out here about the nature of Jesus is that Jesus is truly God. Um, he's a member of the Trinity. Uh, he is very God. So I mean, the first sentence says the son of God, the second person in the Holy Trinity being very and eternal God. It identifies him as, um, as who he is, which is, which is God. Um, before I, at the beginning, I said um, that Jesus, we're going to talk about how Jesus is fully God and fully man. R.C. Sproul, one of the things he liked to say was that Jesus was truly God and truly man um, because fully gives a sense of like, it could be less full or, or, or more. Right. So, um, when he's saying truly, the reason for that is to really point out to the people we're talking to that Jesus truly is God. He's not just kind of God or something of a God, but he truly is the one eternal uncreated sovereign God of the universe. Mm-hmm. I, I love how the confession before it, gets into, and I just read it all at once, but notice before it gets to the incarnation, before it talks about God becoming man, 
It has these affirming statements about who Jesus is as God, about his characteristics that that he is eternal, he's uncreated. That was, was like what we were talking about one of those early uh, heresies, and that's something that a lot of people mistakenly. And I think they don't even, they just don't consider it. They're like, yeah. And then God created Jesus. Like, nope, nope. He was there in the beginning. He's eternal, uncreated, the same substance with God. Um, he is sovereign and sustaining all things, upholding his creation. He, um, I love the lion, he, uh, the brightness of the father's glory. He's the manifestation of God. Um, I think a, a you know, Jesus saying, like, if you've seen me, you've seen the father or Hebrews chapter one, verse three says he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Yeah, that's a huge verse when it comes to um, the nature of Christ, showing that he is you know, the exact, was it say the exact imprint of his nature is very, very important because like you said, that's where a lot of the, the early heresies came from. And even today, what a lot of people say about Jesus is that he was, he was just a man. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll take this, you know, we'll, we'll talk more about this, but the, the idea of him being truly human and truly God as well is a very hard concept for us to comprehend. That's because it's, something that we just it's outside of our realm of thinking almost um Mm. but a lot of the early heresies came down to this and this is scripture clearly saying it to us that jesus truly is the exact imprint of the nature of god he he is god himself um it is a it's a massive verse for hebrews to like to start off with um yeah it's it's huge that's hebrews is so dense like there's so many good i feel like especially in the in this little series we're doing just on the person of jesus we're going to keep coming back to hebrews because that's so much says so much but yeah the confession starts with these declarations and it's really it's so important for us in our worship to understand this about jesus that he is god he is eternal he is sovereign he he's the manifestation of God. We don't want to, when we talk about the incarnation, get so focused on the humanity and the human aspects of him that we forget these things. And, uh, I think one thing I've seen is, you know, being God, he can't cease to be God. So that means even in the incarnation, he has all these attributes. He's omniscient, he's omnipresent, he's omnipotent. And, and we understand that in some way, he, he's veiled that he didn't come in and just like burn us all in his unveiled glory. And, and he humbled himself, which what we're moving towards next is talking about his humanity. He humbled himself. He, uh, he, we call it the, the self deprecation of God. He deprecated himself to have limitations, to veil himself from in, in some ways, veil these attributes in some ways, but he didn't cease to be God. He didn't cease to be all knowing or all powerful or omnipresent. And I think that's one that I've seen like, little accidental comments in sermons where someone's like, you know, Jesus didn't know things. So he had to be this or like, you know, Jesus wasn't able to like, even just practically like the Trinity stayed the Trinity. 
Jesus stayed omnipresent even when he became Jesus. And that's hard to, like like you said, conceptualize because it's something kind of beyond um, our our world, beyond the type of things we interact with on the day to day. So it's hard to compare it to things. But is this really important to realize the the majesty and the div- divinity of Jesus, of the, you know, the man we're talking about is a man, truly, but he's also truly God. Yeah, one of the, um, one of the most eye-opening conferences that I've been to was this one. There's a, he's a teacher at Southern Seminary. Uh, his name is Bruce Ware. And I think kind of his specialty is Trinity. So he came up to our school and he did a, like a four session conference on the Trinity. Um, I didn't know until recently that some people actually don't like what he says and they differ on it. So you may differ on this. That's okay. Um, What I've read from him, I think is right, but people are smarter than me. But he he wrote this book called The Man Christ Jesus, which I'll be honest, I bought because the... I enjoyed his, his talking, but the cover is really nice. So I bought the book, which is how I buy like half my books. But um, uh, I actually read the book a little bit. Um, and the focus of the book is on the humanity of Christ. And that was what the conference was about too. And um, one of the things he says at the very beginning is um, that Christ is veiling his his. I guess you'd call it godness. That's what some people call it. His, the nature of God, right? He's veiling it by taking on human nature. So um, in Philippians chapter 2, when it talks about uh, Christ's humility, uh, it says that he took on the form of a servant. So Bruce Ware talks about it being at, like as addition. So um, how can he be God and man? He, he, it's an addition in a sense, right? That's where people get really kind of scared about it because it's, you know, it sounds like we're, we're forming it into something new or whatever, and that's not what he's saying. Um, but that's the the language we have here, right? He took on human nature, right? That's what Christ did in his in descending down to this earth. He took on this human nature, um, and in that, his glory was veiled um, on the Mount of Transfiguration. That passage. I, trying to remember the the chapter, but it's in every gospel. So you'll be able to find it if you just read one of them. Um, Mount of Transfiguration. One of the amazing things about that passage is that it's Christ unveiling himself to three of the disciples and showing himself in all his glory that in, you know, on earth with his human flesh, it was veiled. And so it's a almost a peeling back of that veil and showing himself in, in all his glory. Um, so that's what Christ did when he came to this earth. Um, he still had those, he, he didn't lose anything. Um, he, he didn't stop being God for a moment to become human, but he took on his human nature. That's Do you think I'm good, wrong? No, I think that's such a good reminder. Like even just as you saying that, like in the transfiguration, he was unveiled for a moment. Like I'm, I'm a little bit in awe. I'm like, wow, that's, how it had not really clicked, but that's why you got it. Even if you've read the Bible, cause I've read the whole Bible, even all the annoying so-and-so we got so-and-sos, but there's always something, sometimes things just don't click until you read it again. There's always new things to learn. It's living and active. Um, but yeah, I'm going to 
I'm going to send me a link to that book. I want to read it. It's funny, just as a little okay. aside, everything I've read on the Trinity has been uh, by people I otherwise disagree with, by like Wesleyans and dispensationals and stuff like that, which, I mean, mm -hmm. it's good to not be in an echo chamber. And it's ironically, I'm often accused of like people are like, oh, you only read people who agree with you. It's like, no, I read people who I think are completely wrong and still learn stuff from them. But uh, so I encourage it, read people you disagree with. Uh, but yeah, I, uh, I think that, well, how did, how to transition, <laughs> but yeah, understanding he's, he's truly God is, is where we need to start, but it doesn't make him any less human that he, he took on a human nature without sin. Um, but he didn't just look human. He is human. Um, and that was sort of the Gnostics argument is that he was, he was just spirit that he kind of was like a mirage or an image to look human. But, um, you know, the, the confession uses the phrase common infirmities, which means that, you know, he had to eat, he had to sleep, he had to poo, like he had to go through regular day-to-day -day life stuff. He had to experience the, the sufferings of, of what it meant to be human. And even he submitted himself to go through he's God, he's unchanging. But then we read that he grew in wisdom and stature. So he had, he was taught things. He had to physically grow. He put himself through this. Um, and I want to focus in on something that just in the last couple of years, uh, there's a pastor I listened to a lot who this is like his thing that he's always harping on is that Jesus being without sin doesn't make him any less human. It actually makes him more human, the perfect human. You know, we often use this phrase like to err is human, but that's not really true. We were made to be righteous, perfect moral beings. We, we, we've talked about this in the past, but sin corrupted us. To sin isn't human. It's a perversion of our humanity to sin. So Jesus shows us what being fully human looks like to walk in perfect obedience, to live only for the glory of God. And that's something that we, when we're becoming like Christ, we're, we're becoming truly human. And I, I think that's really cool and something that we should adjust in our language in the way that we think about uh, sin and, and stuff where it's like, oh, you know, I'm only human, so I'm going to sin. It's like, no, that's a, that's a distortion. Yeah, you often hear, especially when you're sharing the gospel, you hear a phrase like, Christ lived the life that you could not live. And what that's getting at is that, like, what Christ did on this earth, so many things. But one of the things he's doing is he's he's showing to us the way that we are supposed to live. Like, And the, the story of the Bible is all of that, like, bringing us back to Eden, right? It starts with the Garden of Eden, this perfect communion with God. And it ends in this amazing picture of the new heavens and the new earth where we're with God and dwelling with him um, without sin. And Christ is showing, came to this earth and showed us what that life looked like. Perfect communion with God. Um, when we talk about him being like human and having like common infirmities, it says he, he grew tired and often he would retreat from crowds as well. And part of that's probably because he'd been surrounded by people all day, like thousands of people. And he's going off and he's, but he's like going to pray as well. Like the gospel of Luke talks about constantly how Christ left to pray. Um, 
and he's showing us this kind of life where, you know, he's perfectly in step with the spirit. He's perfectly in step with what the father's will is. Um, and we, we talk about perfect human and I don't know who, who said it, where I got it from, but you know, someone, someone said, you know, if Jesus was playing baseball, would he hit home runs every time? No, he wouldn't. That does, that's not what it means to be perfect, right? It doesn't mean you're constantly hitting the home runs or everything. He was still a human. Maybe he struck out in baseball, you know? Um, but, but we can't mistake that with sin because he didn't sin. So in everyday life, like it even talks about how he was tempted as we are, right? Um, he, he, ha- he got tired even on the cross. One of the things he says is, I thirst. And, you know, there's a big, there's theological implications to it for sure. But also he's up there and he's, you know, he's suffering and he's thirsty. So he, he, he wants to drink of water. Um, that is the amazing thing about his humanity there. And I, I think that's such a great point that you bring up there that, that like what Christ is showing us is what it means to be truly human. And, and we should really, really grasp that. And it, it's necessary for him to fill our role, fill his role as our mediator, which is what this whole chapter is about and how we started talking about Jesus is him as our, our mediator that he, yeah, like you said, he lived the life we couldn't. He fulfilled the law's demands while suffering and living a human life as we do. So he's, he's not taking the easy way out. He, he came and he walked this earth and fulfilled the law's demands on our behalf to atone for sins uh, so that he could stand before the Father as our advocate, say, I, I did this for them. I, and then still died and took the punishment that, that we deserve, despite not actually deserving it in any way that his being human is a necessary part of his being our mediator, as well as his, his being God in, in ways that, you know, his connection to the father in ways of his, his being a sacrifice that as an eternal God, it's an eternal sacrifice. If he was just a man, and I think that's a a pushback I, I have for a lot of people who talk about him being completely emptied of his divinity, completely empty of his godness. He's just a man. If just a man died on that cross, we're, we're screwed. Like we're still in deep trouble because one man's life is only enough to pay for one man's sin, right? But because he is God and man, his sacrifice is an eternal sacrifice. Um know have anything to to add to that before we move on to our last point i think we've we've talked a lot about um crisis mediator mediator before that so i think we've done that one of the things kind of to to end this off before we get to some um kind of application of all this is um the topic of jesus and the virgin birth again this is something that we just can't fully dive into in this episode it takes so long um but this, this paragraph does bring it up, so we wanted to mention it. Um, it says, being conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. Um, the idea, or the idea, I think that's a bad way of saying it. Um, the reality mm. <laughs> that he was born of a virgin is, is a big thing. Um, one of the big ways that this is seen in our world today is this idea of the Immaculate Conception um, in Catholicism. 
um, and the Virgin Mary and how, how highly they put Mary. Um, the Immaculate Conception specifically, I can't remember what you said when we talked about this before, but for myself, I always thought that I was talking about Jesus until honestly like a few years ago, maybe five years ago. Um, but it's actually talking about Mary, that she was immaculately conceived. Um, and then Jesus was born from her yeah. without a father it, as well. So it's funny. We'll use, so I hear a lot of like Protestant evangelical Christians sit, use the phrase immaculate conception, which yeah, isn't it talking about Jesus talking about Mary, just something we don't believe Mary in, uh, you know, Mary's song in Luke chapter one, she refers to God as her savior. She recognizes herself as sinful and in need of a savior. Um, but then we, we often will shy away from the phrase, the Virgin Mary, because that sounds a little too Catholic to us. And that's something that in this confession, this very Protestant, very Baptist confession specifically refers to as the Virgin Mary. So it's funny how we kind of get our, our terms flipped around. Um, but yeah, I think this is, it is, it's a doctrine that sometimes I think we forget about or we kind of back burner because we don't see it as that important or because we don't know why it's important at all. And uh, I've heard a lot of people say it's really important and then never explain why. So, so I do want to just, mm -hmm. just get to the point. And the, the biggest thing really, and in Matthew's account, he says it right up. He says that um, this happens so that it would be fulfilled. And he quotes Isaiah seven fourteen says the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us is that that is a uh, pointing to Jesus identity as the Messiah that was promised and prophesied that he was born of a virgin. I think that's the biggest, least debatable aspect of it. And then something that I, I'm learning is a little bit more debatable. <laughs> um, but we've explained before when we talked about the covenant that, I mean, I believe, I think you agree with me, Kyle, that by being born not of a father, there's no inheritance of his father's curse for breaking that, you know, the federal headship thing, which if you don't understand, go listen to our episode on covenant because we get a lot more in depth into it. But I think having no earthly father does free him from this chain of, curse through like father, son, father, son, father, son, generationally from Adam. Though if you yeah. disagree, apparently that a lot of people do. So you're fine. Yeah. Let us know. Why not? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so what does all this matter? Um, just a few things to, to kind of close us off here. Um, the first thing is Jesus needed to have two natures to be our savior. He needed to be God and human. Um, God, because of the perfection, only God can satisfy the wrath of God. Um, so he came and lived that perfect life um, as a human, but truly God as well, um, to live and to die for our sins. So we needed him to be a savior, to be that mediator for us and to, for it to truly, you know, I guess, work in a sense, right? Um, for God to, or for Jesus to be both God and human means that it was actually possible for him. Uh, any of us could have tried and lived a perfect life. We would have failed within the first five minutes, but we, even if we got until like an eight, the age of eight, 
do everything and then live a perfect life, we would still fail within five minutes. Um, we, he needed to, to truly be God and human to be our savior. Yeah, I think this also, this, this doctrine, understanding his dual natures, like we said at the beginning, it helps us to understand who he is and then it informs our worship. And it really leads us to worship when we comprehend that he is an eternal, all-powerful, wise God who's created and sustained all things. And then he demeaned himself to be born as a baby, to go through all these things, to step down off of his throne onto the earth, to make himself low for our sake. And this is something that's unique to Christianity. As far as I know, there might be some fringe religion out there, but this is something in, in the major world religions that's unique to what we believe that God would humble himself to walk on this earth, for, to suffer for our sake. And that's something that when we really work through it and we grasp it, it should just lead us to, to humility and to worship. Yeah. You, and yeah, like you said, this is something so unique to Christianity. Um, I don't even think any fringe religion believes it because the whole concept of God is that he is like high above us, separate from us. We don't even have a certain like relationship with him. And that's what makes Christianity unique and, and so incredible of the gospel is to see that God actually came down to us. He descended to us. It's not this like every other religion trying to make your way up to God, to find your way up to him, to do enough to get to him and for him to approve of you. Um, it's him coming down and living that life for us. Um, the eternal God, he would, he lowered himself to suffer like we do for our sake, like to actually identify with us. Um, it's something so unique. And um, we see that in the nature of Christ, him coming down, taking on as Philippians two says, the form of a servant um, and being obedient and dying on the cross for us. Well, we appreciate you listening. We want to know what you're thinking. We want to hear your comments, questions, snide remarks. If you're uh, watching on YouTube, just leave a comment right here on YouTube. Uh, otherwise, you can message us on Instagram is a good way to do it. Uh, we, I think, I think that's basically what we got. I feel like we you know, have another one. Discord. Join our Discord. Go to our website, sinnersandsuffers.com. Go to the bottom. There's a button that says join the discord and then you can actually chat with us and we respond and we've had like actual back and forth conversations with people in there and other people in the community will respond and you can have a good discussion it's a good time we want to grow that more and it's just a great opportunity 